0: I invite you to turn with me and your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12 as we continue our study of the life of Abraham. Genesis 12, we'll pick up the reading at verse 10. Two weeks ago we looked at the first part of this chapter where we found Abram leaving Ur in what is now southern Iraq where he and his family worshipped other gods, and then they moved north along the Euphrates River and settled in Haran. And Haran today would be in southern Turkey near the border of Syria. God called Abram to leave this land and his home and his extended family and to go to a land that the Lord would show him that he would in turn give to his descendants. At this point, Uh, Abram didn't have any descendants, and his wife was barren. So a great promise from God. He followed God's call. He moved into Canaan between Bethel and Ai, and we'll see that in a moment come back into play. Bethel, Bethel was just north of where Jerusalem would eventually be built. There he pitched his tent, built an altar, and called on the name of the Lord. And let's see what happened next. Chapter 12, verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai's wife, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake." When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say, She is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at first, and there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word and write its truth upon our hearts today. There is a saying, history often repeats itself. You've probably heard that saying, the old adage. Now certainly no two sets of historical events are exactly the same, but sometimes events are so similar that the second seems to be a repetition of the first. And when biblical writers saw events in the past that these events seem to be repeated in the lives of God's people, they often made this connection clear. And that is what is happening here today. Uh, Abram is experiencing something and Moses is writing this down and he sees that it is very similar to an experience they uh, have had or are having and he wants to encourage them with that because of another adage that you may have heard, another saying, those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Now Moses, as I've said, wrote the book of Genesis. He recorded these things for his original audience so they would learn from their history. Who was his original audience? Well, we can deduce from Scripture rather easily that it was the Israelites who were on the exodus out of Egypt and heading to the Promised Land, two generations of people wandering in the desert. They wandered 40 years there. We know that God called uh, Moses, Exodus 3, saw the burning bush. God called him to go to Egypt, to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to let his people go and to bring the people out. So Moses is, from the time of his call by God and from the time that they got to the edge of the promised land because that's when Moses died, the, the majority of that time was spent in the wilderness wandering with the children of Israel. And it makes sense that the first five books of the Bible uh, were written during this time, during Moses. If you look through the New Testament, all the New Testament writers, including Jesus himself, believed Moses was the author of these first five books. So they're wandering 40 years in the wilderness before they made it to the Pro- promised land, and it was a very difficult journey, as we know from reading the book of Exodus and, uh, and Numbers. Moses recorded these things to help them learn from their history what they were doing, and why they were doing it. Genesis would have been a big dose of perspective for the Israelites wandering in the wilderness, and they really need it, if you know anything about the history. So I want to ask a couple of questions today and and hopefully answer those questions. First, how does this account of Abram's experience in Egypt give perspective to the Israelites wandering in the desert? And two, and more importantly... How does this understanding help us who are Christians in 2014, some 4,000 years after Genesis 12, 10 through 20? So first question, how does this account of Abram's Abraham's experience in Egypt give perspective to the Israelites who were wandering in the desert? Well, again, history repeats itself. In Genesis 12, in the passage that we just read, Abram began a sojourn in Egypt, because of a famine in the land of Canaan. He was delayed in Egypt when Pharaoh took Sarah into his harem, which is really amazing when you just stop and think about it. I mean, she was in her 60s, and she must she was quite a looker well into her 60s. And Some of you say, well, that's no big deal. I'm quite a looker in my 60s as well. Uh, but she was obviously a very attractive woman, and Pharaoh took notice. So he gets, uh, Abram and Sarah get delayed, There in uh, Egypt when Pharaoh took Sarah into his harem. But God delivered Abraham by sending diseases on Pharaoh's house. And then Pharaoh sent Abram away from Egypt and Abram left Egypt with great wealth. Now this story about Abraham was clearly designed to foreshadow the experience of the, the nation of Israel generations later. Just like Abraham, they sojourned in uh, Egypt because of a famine in the land of Canaan. You'll remember the time of Joseph. Joseph's brother sold him into slavery. Uh, He eventually ended up through prison and Potiphar's house and all the experiences that he had rising to the second in command in Egypt. And because of a great famine, Jacob and his family ended up moving to the land of Egypt so that they could be taken care of during a famine. So the Israelites ended up there in Egypt because of a famine, just like Abraham. And they were held there by Pharaoh, eventually becoming slaves to the Egyptians, held there against their will. But they were delivered. How? By plagues coming upon the house of Pharaoh. Pharaoh, of course, ordered Israel's release and Israel left Egypt, having plundered the riches of the Egyptians. You can see all the parallels between these two stories. If you look at the history, uh, or, or to back up, why did they need to gain perspective from this story? Why was Moses so interested in telling them this story? What was going on in their lives as they wandered in the desert? You know, they had a, had a great deliverance by the Lord, crossing the Red Sea, But soon after that, as you well know, things went south for them. became very difficult immediately. Just thinking back about what kind of life did they have in Egypt, it tells us in Exodus 1, there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. So this new Pharaoh came along, and he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaohs store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field and in all their work. They ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Now remember those words. Ruthlessly made their lives bitter with hard service. That was what life was like Back in Egypt. And on top of that, you know, of course, Pharaoh, seeing that the children of Israel were multiplying, he sent out an order to execute all the male children of Israel. And so some of them were thrown into the Nile and, and, and murdered. So God sent Moses and he delivered them at the Red Sea and they're free, heading to the Promised Land. But then they reached their difficulties. They didn't have a means to have food or water. They saw the enemies in the land. And what did they say time and time again? Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and the bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. See how they remembered Egypt? We had pots of meat and we ate bread till we were filled. Oh, that we had meat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. It was such a romantic view of Egypt. Far cry from the slavery and bitterness. Leeks, onions, and garlic, I mean... Some serious bad breath going on there. But they remembered it and longed for it. Then Numbers 14. They see some enemies in the land. And then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Think about that. Our wives and our little ones are going to be a prey. Were they not a prey in Egypt? They were being murdered in Egypt. Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Egypt. Fast forward to the book of Acts. Stephen, the first martyr, was preaching his sermon in Acts 7, and he says this about Moses Our fathers refused to obey Moses, but thrust him aside, and in their hearts they turned to Egypt. In their hearts they turned to Egypt. That's what Moses was dealing with a bunch of disgruntled people who wanted to go back to bondage, back to slavery back to oppression, back to the bitterness of Egypt. So Moses gives them this account of their father Abraham to encourage them to discard all their attachments to Egypt and move forward to victory in the promised land. See, in essence, Moses is saying, Look at your father Abraham. Like you, he sojourned in Egypt because of famine. Like you, he was detained there by Pharaoh and the promises of land and descendants were threatened, especially the descendants part. I mean, you were detained there and your sons were being put to death and the future was looking bleak for the children of Israel. Abram uh, Abram was there with his wife Sarah. God had promised him offspring, but if his wife was in Pharaoh's harem, how could she have any offspring by him? So, the promises were looking grim at this point, but, but look, like, like Abraham, God delivered him. Like you, like you experienced, God delivered Abraham by sending diseases on Pharaoh's house. and like you, because of God's great deliverance, Abraham left Egypt with many riches, just like you did. See, the implications for them was clear. They were the children of Abraham, the children of promise. And they were actually part of the fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham. They were his many descendants. And God had also promised to them land. They promised Abraham land, and they were the recipients of that. When Abraham was in Egypt, he didn't remain there. He recognized, that was, that's not my home. That's not a good place for me to be. And so he goes back to where he was before, to Bethel and Ai, in Canaan in the land of promise. He didn't remain there once he left and he never went back to Egypt. He went to Canaan. Abraham learned very clearly that Egypt was not his home and they needed to learn that Egypt was not their home. That land to which they were currently traveling was their home. Their home was the promised land, Abraham's land Don't go back to Egypt and slavery. That's what Moses is telling them. You don't want to go back there. Leave that behind and continue toward the promised land that God has given you. So that answers our first question. Why is this even here in the Bible? Well, to the first audience, Moses is trying to encourage them. Leave Egypt. Press on to the promised land. Keep going. Don't give up. Don't become discouraged. Don't grumble and complain and rebel and pick someone to take you back there, not back to bondage and slavery. You can see how the people would have been encouraged by this and challenged by this. Now the second question, how does this understanding that, that we have about the reason Moses wrote this and the recipient's first the first recipients of this, what they would have gained from that, how does that understanding help us who are Christians in 2014? I hope the, the wheels are already spinning in your mind, that you can see the connections. The historical situation of the original audience is important for modern application because the, Christians, the Christian church today is in a parallel situation. Just as Israel had been delivered from slavery in Egypt, but was still headed toward a glorious life in the Promised Land, the Church of Christ has been delivered from the dominion of sin by the work that Christ did when He was here on earth. But the Church is still headed toward the glory of the new creation that will come when Christ returns. You know, that's the, the parallels help us to make the application. Moses wrote about Abraham to encourage and guide Israel on our journey from one place to the other. His stories encourage and guide us on our journey from the world of death to bondage to sin to the new world of everlasting life. We must, in the midst of the difficult journey, remain faithful to Christ because of what He has done in the inauguration of the kingdom, delivering us from sin, and continue to be faithful to Him as His kingdom grows in our day, and looking forward to to that day when the spiritual journey is over. Let's look at some of the parallels between Moses' first audience and us. First of all, Christians are the spiritual descendants of Abraham. God had given promises to Abraham, land and descendants. They were the children of, of Abraham, and by faith so are we paul says so galatians 3 know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of abraham paul gives an argument here and in romans that it's not just jew and gentile but but they're all you know jews are not just the children of abraham but jews and gentiles of faith are children of abraham he says verse 28 Galatians 3, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. What a privileged position a Christian has, even if you're a Gentile. And I'm assuming most of us here are, not all of us. If we have faith in Christ, if we belong to Christ, then we are Abraham's offspring. Heirs of the promise, the promise of a promised land, not just a, a land in the Middle East, but a heavenly home, new heavens and new earth with the Lord. So we are the spiritual descendants of Abraham. So we can make this, we can make this connection between what Abraham was teaching to the children of Israel and, and to the church as well by extension. So we are the spiritual descendants of Abraham. We are also, uh, also, is true that Christians have been delivered from bondage. When the children of Israel were delivered from bondage, they were in slavery. As we read, it came through an open confrontation between Moses, their representative, and Pharaoh, their enemy. God intervened through Moses and defeated their enemy Pharaoh and delivered them from bondage. Right. In the same way, Christ as our representative has confronted our worst enemies, sin and death. He has confronted them and he has defeated them. He confronted sin on the cross by becoming sin in our place. He defeated sin by dying there in our place. He defeated death by dying and rising from the grave. He is alive even as I speak today. And those who are trusting him will live forever. We have experienced a deliverance from bondage. Bondage to sin. Sin was our master. And Christ came along and delivered us from that if we are believers. Are you a believer? Have you been delivered from the bondage to sin? Do you have the hope of eternal life in Christ? And think about those Israelites. In order to be delivered from bondage in Egypt the Israelites had to leave Egypt. They had to pack it up and get out. And they did that. And they, then they had to cross the Red Sea when the waters parted, and they had to go to the other side. This is a picture of what is required of us if we would be delivered from sin and death. It's a picture of repentance and faith. Repentance means that we, live, we leave the old sinful life behind. We get out of Egypt. We leave the sin behind. Faith means we trust the, in the deliverer. And you imagine being on the shore of the Red Sea with the, the, the ocean in front of you or the sea in front of you, and behind you have the, the armies of Egypt breathing down your neck, And then through Moses, the Lord opens up the way for them to be saved by parting the Red Sea. And in order to be saved, all you had to do was to take the opportunity to walk across. And those who did were trusting in the Deliverer, who was God, and they were trusting in the provided deliverance, which was a path across the Red Sea. Now, somebody could have stood there at the edge and said, I'm not going across there. I'm going to try and go around and see if I can't beat the enemies or go this way and see if I can't hide or, you know, some other form of deliverance. They could have done that. They would have been unsuccessful, I'm sure. This was the way to be delivered through the sea. And they had to say, God has done this great thing, provided this, and I need to take advantage of that. I need to walk across. Faith means that you believe the deliverer and you believe the deliverance. And it doesn't matter the size of the faith. What matters is the object of the faith. Now think about this. Some people cross through there going, man, this is really cool. I mean, they're rejoicing, probably, you know, pumping their fists, going, we're free! And they're going happily across the other side. And then there were probably some people going, oh my goodness, we're all going to die. This water is going to come crashing down on us and and I just don't know if if I can do it. But they walked across. Whether they walked across rejoicing or whether they walked across fearful, the point is they walked across and were delivered. It's not the size of the faith, it's the object of the faith. Both people grabbed hold of the deliverance that was provided by the deliverer. And whether they did it confidently or with very little faith, they still did it and they were delivered. Wherever you are today, maybe you go, wow, Christ has delivered me and I'm rejoicing in that and I'm going to embrace that. Or whether you go, well, I'm really not sure. I'm not sure about this Jesus and Christianity thing. Put your faith in Christ and you will experience the deliverance, no matter how big your faith is. Because it's Christ. He's the deliverer. He's the one that does the work. He's provided the way of salvation through His death. We've been delivered from bondage to sin. Thirdly, Christians are tempted to go back to Egypt. Well, we've already said, look, once they got over there on the other side, they began to immediately grumble and complain and say, I "Wish we were back in Egypt. It was so much better there." And yeah, we shake our heads at the Egyptian, I mean at the Israelites, and how they reinterpreted how great it was back in Egypt. But we do the same thing when we go back to the old sinful ways. When we give in to the temptations that so easily beset us, we're going right back into bondage. We're going back to Egypt. We're always tempted to go back to Egypt. Paul talked about it extensively. Romans 6. He answers a question Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? Look, it's free, we can sin. Somebody was saying, This is this is really good. We can do what we want to do because God saved us and we're experiencing His grace. And if I sin, He has to give me more grace. And he says, no, (laughs) by no means is how it's interpreted, but it's strong, what he says. That's crazy. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, Or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. What he's basically saying is, why would you want to go back to sin? It's bondage. It's slavery. And it leads to death. It makes no sense. And he goes on to say, look, the end of those things is death. Death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Think about that when we're tempted, when we're wondering, wouldn't it be better? This Christian thing is really hard. Wouldn't it be better to just go back to the old ways? Wouldn't it be easier just to give in to the temptations that are so prevalent around us in our day and time? Remember, sin is slavery. It's going back to Egypt, it's going back to bondage. It's not freeing, it's not helpful, and it leads to death. Jesus said, The one who endures to the end will be saved. And that brings us to the final point Christians must endure in the journey to the promised land. Romans 15, I mean, there's a, I've got a number of scriptures here. I would invite you to go look them all up. We've already read the First Corinthians 10 one. But Romans 15 says a similar thing to First Corinthians 10. Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. Genesis 10, I mean 12, 10 through 20, was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. We need that endurance. We need the encouragement of the Scriptures. And that's what we're getting today. Hebrews 12. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Abraham included, as he's talked about in Hebrews 11, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. He's calling us to remember the deliverance. We've been delivered from bondage. Christ faced our enemies, and he's defeated them. Look at his example and how he did that for us, so that we won't get tired and weary. So that we will endure in a moment of difficulty and temptation. It would seem like the Israelites should have thought about their deliverance more. You know, when when they think, oh, why do we why did God bring us out here to kill us? What a what a dumb thought. I mean, God has sent ten plagues on Egypt, gotten the, one of the most powerful rulers on earth to send you away, has parted a giant sea for you to go across, is leading you with a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day, and, and you don't appreciate that? What he's done for you? You're, you think he's brought you out here to kill you? He went to a lot of trouble to save you in the first place. Surely He's going to get you to the promised land. And it's true of us as well. Christ has laid down His life for us. He has left His heavenly home. He has become a a human. He suffered through His whole life to the point where He died on the cross, becoming sin for us. He's not going to abandon us midstream. He's not going to forget about us. He's not going to leave us to the side. He's going to complete the work that he's begun in us. There's a great song that, I I don't know if it's a great song, but I always appreciated this song. The Imperials sang it back in the early 80s, late 70s. And it said this, He didn't bring us this far to leave us. He didn't teach us to swim, to let us drown. He didn't build his home in us to move away. He didn't lift us up to let us down. God is faithful. He's faithful to his people. And he will get us to that promised land one day. In the meantime, may we endure looking to Christ for his strength and encouragement. Let's pray.